the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ephesians. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. There has been this ongoing debate, again, over the last 400 or so years, about how to interpret God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Where did those things meet? Is is God all sovereign and man has no responsibility? Is man completely responsible and God has no sovereignty? Or is it somewhere that meets in the middle and the tension of which is somewhat of a mystery to us? God's sovereignty and our free will are not easy concepts to understand. The debate has gone on for centuries, and it even comes out in our day-to-day discussions. Maybe you've heard questions like, if God is sovereign, then why doesn't he fill in the blank? Or maybe it's a question that asserts man's will overriding God's power. Pastor Gary will help us to wrestle through these questions and more as he unpacks the beginning of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Here's a little background of the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church at Ephesus, for those of you who who like these kind of things, but I think it's important to frame the context of our study as well. So the writer of Ephesians is the Apostle Paul. He wrote it around 60 AD from prison in Rome. He first visited Ephesus, the book of Acts tells us, during his second missionary journey, but then he returns to Ephesus during his third missionary journey. Well, he will spend three years That is more time that he spends at Ephesus than any other place during his ministry. He's going to spend three solid years here at this particular place. A little bit about Ephesus itself. Ephesus was the most populated city of Ionia. Ionia is is the region and Ephesus is the city. The uh, population estimation uh, during the first century when Paul would have written this was around 300,000 to 500,000 people. And it is a city situated on the shoreline of the Aegean Sea, which is in modern-day Turkey. Now, an important aspect of Ephesus that has to be mentioned is the Temple of Diana. Her Greek name is Artemis. She is the goddess of sex and fertility. And In Ephesus, at one time, stood this incredible structure, this temple to Diana, the worship of Diana. It was 425 feet long by 220 feet wide. It had 127 pillars, 60 feet high. 
And it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was rebuilt three times, due in large part to earthquakes, and it was finally destroyed in 401 AD. So we only have the remains of the temple today. So that's the background on the letter and the city. That's the little background, and then I'm going to give a longer introduction. But first, let me read here from chapter 1, verses 1 through verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. All right, question. Now, this is a survey because I, I need to know, like, who knows what and who, who doesn't know what, okay? So this is not a mark of spiritual maturity or who's, you know, more brilliant than the next person. I just need to know if you know certain terms, okay? So who is familiar, at least you've heard the terms, you may not be able to define it all, but you've heard the terms Calvinism and Arminianism. Let me see your hands. Okay, so a great majority of you have. For those of you who haven't, you're going to hear probably more than you want to hear. But these are some important terms that we need to understand because there has been this ongoing debate, again, over the last 400 or so years, about how to interpret God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Where did those things meet? Is, is God all sovereign and man has no responsibility? Is man completely responsible and God has no sovereignty? Or is it somewhere that meets in the middle and the tension of which is somewhat of a mystery to us? Well, it, it's the latter. That, that tension is revealed to us in Scripture, but it is somewhat a mystery to us. Now, what exactly am I talking about when I use these terms Calvinism and Arminianism? Because until we understand the debate that's existed over the last few hundred years... 
Uh, you won't necessarily understand which angle we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Ephesians, particularly chapter 1 here, uh, through. So Calvinism and Arminianism are two attempts to explain how the sovereignty of God works with mankind's free will or his responsibility in the area of salvation. Because when you read all these different words in chapter 1 about being chosen and predestined and adopted and redeemed, you know, the question becomes, you know, obviously those are verbs that express God's part. What is our part in, in the whole salvation story? Now, both Calvinists and Arminians believe in the choice that God makes concerning us regarding salvation. This is a debate that has been going on since the 17th century uh, between followers of John Calvin, thus called Calvinists, and followers of uh, Jacobus Arminius, Jacob Arminius, known as Arminians. And these two camps have, have developed over this debate regarding God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. For 400 years, this debate has been happening in the church. I have people who will come to Cornerstone for the first time, and some people, because they're familiar with these terms, will ask me, is Cornerstone Calvinist or Arminian? And I think to myself, oh no, you know, that's the first question you're going to ask, you won't be here long. You know, and, and this, this is the kind of debate that goes on across most churches. And so if, you, if you're not familiar with these terms, in some way you're, you're better off. But if, but if you are familiar with these terms, terms, you know, where does Cornerstone sit? What is my particular view? How do we interpret Scripture in, 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 in light of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? Now, Calvinists and Arminians believe that God chooses who should be saved. It is a word that Paul uses right here in verse 4. For he, that is God, chose us in him before the creation of the world. So both Calvinists and Arminians believe that God chooses people to be saved. Now here's the difference. Calvinists believe that God chooses who will be saved by his sovereign will. That we are born dead in our sins Therefore, we don't even have the capacity to choose God, and so he chooses for us, and thus he predestines or predetermines some to be saved and some not to be saved. That's the Calvinist view. And some Calvinists even take it to a hyperextension where it is not only simply that God chooses some to be saved, but that specifically God chooses others, therefore, to be damned. The Arminian view is basically that the Arminians believe God chooses who will be saved based on his foreknowledge, that is a word that is also used in Scripture, based on his foreknowledge of those whom he knows, since he knows all things, will choose him in response to his initiation of salvation by his grace. So, while Arminians would agree that the human race is depraved, they would also say, though, that God's grace is at work drawing anyone and everyone to come to him. That's what Arminians called prevenient grace, meaning that God's grace is at work even before salvation to stir the hearts of a depraved person, because we are, we're all wicked to the, to, to the core, we're born into sin, 
that God's grace is at work even before salvation to draw us, to woo us, to make a decision, and therefore some will accept Christ and some will sadly reject Christ of their own free will. So those are very two different views. Both believe God chooses. It's the word that Paul uses in verse 4. But Calvinists believe that God chooses sovereignly, providentially, those who should be saved and those who would not. Arminians believe God chooses based on his foreknowledge, that God knows those who will accept him since he knows all things, according to the exercise of their free will in response to God initiating his plan of salvation by his grace. So, this debate has been going on since the 17th century. Followers of John Calvin, followers of Jacob Arminius, after those two guys were dead. I mean, I think Calvin and Arminius would be rolling in their graves if they only knew the kind of debate that was going on in the evangelical church today relative to these topics. People took up the banner of Calvinism and Arminianism after these guys were dead. But these camps circled up, and you have great differences. You have John Wesley in the 1700s, and you have George Whitfield in the 1700s in two completely different camps. Whitfield was a Calvinist, Wesley was an Arminian. And they had robust debates about God's sovereignty. Did he choose you to be saved? Did he damn others to be not saved? Was it the exercise of free will? Where does this tension meet? And because this is really the subject matter of Ephesians 1, I I needed to give this lengthy introduction. Now, Calvinists would say, if they're looking at a lens through Calvinism when they read Ephesians chapter 1, that... If God chooses us, or they would say since God chooses us according to his sovereignty, then we can never be unsaved because God saves those that he providentially chooses and therefore you cannot be unsaved. And thus that expression, once saved, always saved. How many of you heard that expression, once saved, always saved? If, on the other hand, Arminians believe that we choose Christ in the exercise of our free will in response to God's saving grace, then perhaps we can lose our salvation, or become unsaved. Now, others of you, I'm sure, equally have heard of that debate. How many of you heard that debate? Can I lose my salvation, right? When we do the Q&A in January, I inevitably get these questions. Is a person once saved, always saved? Can I lose my salvation? Now, both of these views have led to equal problems. And the equal problem is one of either being overly secure in one's salvation, I'll define it, or insecure regarding one's salvation. Now, how is it that someone can be overly secure in his or her salvation? Well, people who believe that God sovereignly chose them to be saved, and thus would embrace that phrase, once saved, always saved, are liable to live however they want. This is how you can be overly secure in your salvation. Because the idea is, if I've already been sovereignly chosen, then I can live however I want, because I can't be unsaved. I was actually having this conversation with my wife last night. She said, oh yeah, there was a friend that I grew up with who was a Christian. So when Terry was 16, she said she would go over to her friend's house, a girlfriend's house, and they'd be hanging out together. And... uh, her, her friend would, would be up in her bedroom and, you know, Terry would go up there and just hang out together. And her friend would throw up in a window and be smoking out her window. Because she didn't want her parents to know that she was smoking. 
And Derry says to her, aren't you going to get in trouble, you know? And why would you be smoking like this? Now, and, and her response was this. I'm Baptist, once saved, always saved, doesn't really matter. That's what she said. By the way, I've said this before, I'll say it again, smoking won't make you go to hell, it'll just make you smell like you've been there, okay? So anyway, but that was her view, because Terry's friend was a Calvinist. She said, I can just do whatever I want. Now, that's not a proper view, but I'm just saying that's an overly secure view of the Calvinist position. And, and you can get to that place. John, John Wesley had a concern about this very thing. It was called anti, antinomianism. Antinomianism is basically the, the, the thought that you, do, do not, you are no longer bound to the moral code of God's law because if you're sovereignly chosen to be saved, you, you can do whatever you want. And antinomianism became a real problem as a result of Calvinism. And Wesley said, if you are sovereignly chosen, then what motivation do you have to live a pure and holy life? Okay? So that's how one can be, if you will, overly secure. On the other end, the Arminian view can be one that leads to insecurity. Because if if you believe that you did everything to get saved then you're going to walk around in a state of constant paranoia thinking you've done things to get yourself unsaved. See how that works? And there, there are some people who, because they have more emphasis on the responsibility of man than they do the sovereignty of God, have a very insecure view and of their own salvation and aren't even sure if they're going to go to heaven. And these are the people who are constantly rededicating their lives and feeling like they have to get saved all over again because they had a bad thought. And so now I got myself saved and I'm going to get myself unsaved, so I've got to get saved again. So I don't want an overly secure faith and I don't want an insecure faith. I just want a secure faith. Amen? I don't, I don't want to do things that would lead to sin because I have this perception that I'm divinely chosen so I can do whatever I want. But neither do I want to walk around in insecurity because I feel like it's all up to me to get saved and to keep my salvation. So this whole thing is a very noble debate, but it is a doomed debate because they are both human attempts to explain divine concepts. Yes, God is absolutely sovereign, but yes, man is absolutely responsible in response to receiving the gift of salvation that God offers. So, I am not going to attempt to settle this debate. That that is not going to happen tonight. It will not happen until Jesus comes, and he'll settle it. All right? It's been going on for centuries, and it certainly isn't going to be cleared up tonight. But I do want to propose this, because I believe that Calvinism and Arminianism both have some truths and both have some flaws. If I were to be categorized, and I don't like categories, but people ask from time to time, what is Cornerstone? I would say to you that I am, and Cornerstone is, Calminian. (laughs) Or it is Arminivist. (laughs) Not because that's a cop-out. Now, some people think that's a cop-out. And that drives five-point Calvinists and five-point Arminians crazy when somebody says that. It's like, you can't be. You have to be in one camp or another. I'm not saying that that I'm a Calminian because I believe it's a cop-out. I'm saying that because I honestly believe that's what the Bible teaches that it's okay to allow those tensions to remain because the Bible allows those tensions to remain. That it is okay to talk about the sovereignty of God and believe it fully and talk about the responsibility of man and believe that also 
fully. God is sovereign. And man has a free will and is responsible. Spurgeon was once asked how he could reconcile those two things. He said, I don't need to. He said, you don't need to reconcile friends. Those two things are friends in Scripture. It is human attempt that has made them enemies and has therefore made the church very divisive concerning the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Now, you're going to hear my slant. I do have a slant in this. Everybody does if you study this to any degree. But I have that slant, that slant based on how I am convinced of the overall presentation of Scripture, not just one verse here, one verse there, of the overall presentation of Scripture regarding God and man. But I do make allowances, because I think we should, for this debate among loving, good-willed Christians. It all depends on what angle you approach certain texts from. And this is the truth about Calvinism and Arminianism. They are two different animals, but yet they're compatible in that it just simply depends what angle you're coming from. Now, two angles for you to consider. Again, I warned you in advance, this is a lengthy introduction. But two angles for you to consider as we look here in the Ephesians chapter 1 in just a moment. Two angles to consider. First of all, how do you view God's sovereignty? How do you view God's sovereignty? And there are really two ways to view it, and at the heart of the debate are these two views. Do you see God's sovereignty as one who is a ruling monarch, that God exercises divine will, or as a loving parent, one who exercises divine love? Okay, That will determine the angle of how you filter Scripture. Now, I will tell you, this is me personally speaking. My, my slant is towards God as a loving parent. Okay? Do I believe in the sovereignty of God, that he exercises his divine will? Of course I do. But when I read verses like 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. It is incompatible in my mind, and it is intellectually dishonoring to say that God in his sovereignty will individually select some to heaven and damn others to hell. So I see through the lens of God as a loving parent, but you may choose to see him through the lens of a ruling monarch. Both are true in different aspects, but what is the predominant view, because that's going to shape the way you interpret Scripture, at least on the lines of salvation in particular. The second angle that I want us to consider is, how do you view God's choosing of us? Because it is clear in Scripture that he chooses. But again, is it that he chooses us based on his sovereign predetermination? Or does he choose us because he knows those who will choose him, and so in that sense we are chosen? And, and so the, the, the angles to that question are either individually or corporately. Now, um, here's where, where some of you, I, I just want to challenge in, in your thinking about God's way of choosing us. And, and let me challenge you with this question. 
When you look into the Old Testament, I'm talking about just the overall context of Old Testament scripture. Who are the chosen of the Old Testament? Israel. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Thanks for joining us as we learn from the book of Ephesians. It's no secret that humans are imperfect. In many of his letters, Paul addresses how imperfect people can cause disunity. It's easy to look at all the ways we are different and forget to see all the ways in which we are the same. All of us are loved by God, and all of us have been saved by grace. Let that motivate you to look at those around you differently and seek unity. Always, if you'd like to hear this message again, feel free to visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or download our mobile app and have these teachings with you on the go. That way, you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app under the Teachings tab on our website. While you're there, you can also learn more about Cornerstone Chapel, the church behind this ministry. If you're in the area, we'd love to connect with you. Find service times, directions, and more on our website. That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We look forward to you joining us again next time, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go but still, you know, but still you know You're not alone General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.